Hey there, folks. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. I am absolutely loving this time of year. I feel like when December rolls around, there's just this liberating feeling in the air. I feel like everyone has accepted the fact that they're about to slow down and enjoy the holidays. If we unpack the mindset behind December and we apply that to the rest of the year going from go, go, go to slow, 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 we would realize the impact that it can have on our life. I try to encourage everyone at this point in time to bottle these emotions and reflect on the mid-year when we're feeling a bit under the weather trying to accomplish everything at once. It feels so good to just slow down and enjoy the fruits of life because after all we're here for a good time and not a long time. This year has been incredibly productive and incredibly transformative and I want to take this time to say thank you all for the amazing support that you have shown myself and for the podcast. It warms my heart to know the content that is being shared is making a difference on your life so thank you guys again. If you're new to the show, firstly, welcome, and secondly, my name is Matt Sapala, and I am your host. I started this platform to help educate and inspire people to lead a more conscious, plant-focused life. The incredible guests that I have on the show each week help me to do exactly that. And that brings me to this week's amazing guests. We have professional plant-based triathlete, Travis Coleman. Trav has represented his country countless times and is fueled entirely by plants. He's definitely changing the stigma associated with plant-based nutrition and showing us that we can thrive as an athlete even at the top level. If you've never heard of triathlon before, it's a multifaceted sport that requires athletes to shift their focus between running, cycling and swimming. Trav explains a little bit more about that during the show. He also shares with us his journey and some of the most captivating race stories that I've ever heard. There was one in particular that had me on the edge of my seat. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast this week, Trav. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and I can't wait to hear the feedback from the community. Guys, if you're loving the content, don't forget to head on over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show and even share this one with a friend. Well, that's all I have for you by way of introduction. I won't take up too much more of your time and I'll let you get into the belly of the conversation. So over to you, Trav. Travis Ready Coleman. to rumble. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> Great start there, Trav. Travis Coleman, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We just were barging in for the first hello of the conversation. So really, really good sign. I'm pumped to get into the talk, man. <laughs> Competitive side of me is ready to go straight away. <laughs> Trav, I'm, I'm really pumped to have this conversation with you, mate. You're doing some really exciting things for the plant-based community and you're changing the stigma around, you know, fueling your body with plants among the athletic performance side of things. So pumped to get into the nitty gritty of that. Before we do mm. that, Trav, talk to us a little bit about yeah. your background and upbringing. Uh, yeah. So how old am I now? Um, 23. Um, so yeah, I was pretty much brought up around sports. It was like an identity for me. I remember primary school, it was like, Oh, what sport do you do? Like when you'd introduce yourself to people, it's like, I forgot your name, but you play soccer, you played touch footy, right? Yeah. Um, so I've pretty much always done everything. Um, and then I think it was the start of high school. Um, my dad was like, hey, there's this local triathlon in the area. Uh, it's a swim, a bike, and a run. Did you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, three sports in one to go. Yeah, for sure. And then he beat me, and I was like, nah, I'm not having this. And then pretty much from then, the, the competitive side of me was born. Um, and what's that? That was almost 10 years ago. So then, yeah, since then, it was – oh, through high school, it was a lot of surfing, and triathlon was the side gig. and then. Pretty much in year 10, triathlon was the main hustle and surfing took a back stance and yeah. Yeah, I love it, dude. It's pretty evident that the, like, the competitive side was 
within your blood from such a young age. So that's obviously um, sparked into everything that you're doing at the moment, which is cool to see. What sort yeah. of was the, the catalyst for getting into endurance sport and how did you sort of um, approach that situation once you sort of had a taste for endurance sport? Um, I guess it was through competing in school. I used to do like, like every single school competition there was just to get out of the classroom and go run, swim, do whatever. Um, and I noticed that most of the kids were pretty good over like a 50-meter swim or a 100-meter run. And because not everyone wanted to do the longer stuff, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I kind of just realized that whether it was because not many people did it or I just had an edge, the further it went, the better I was. And I was like, oh, sick. This is cool. And then I guess it was um, – I'm a pretty small frame, so I guess – I've never really had that strong power base behind me, but if if you tell me to run all day, I pretty much won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. And I guess you touched on it before about the um, what a triathlon is. For people that are listening at home and not sure what a triathlon is, can you give us a rundown of what that is? Yeah, so a standard uh, triathlon is a swim, bike, and then a run. Um, and there's a few distances. So, like, there's... It's like entices and like nice and small ones to get you involved. I'm not sure on what those distances are, but the ones I compete in. Um, so for me, a sprint distance is 750 meter swim, 20k bike, 5k run. Uh, standard distance is double that, so 1.5k swim, 40k bike, 10k run. And then you step up into the long course stuff, which is kind of ironic that there's a long triathlon. They're all pretty long. Um, <laughs> So there's, yeah, it starts with the half Ironman, which is 1.9K swim, 90K bike, and a half marathon run. So 21.1. And then full full Ironman, which I haven't done yet, but it'd be cool to do one one day, is 3.8K swim, 180K bike, and a marathon. So 42.2K run. That's absolutely huge. And to try and comprehend, you know, breaking those sort of events down into one, it's crazy. And in the swim component, is that done in an open pool or is that in the ocean? Uh, Yeah, it's pretty much always in the ocean. So if you get pretty used to swimming 50 meters, having a stop and then going, you're going to find it tough the first one you do. Yeah, I struggle swimming in in any sort of body of water. I almost drown in the shower, but... (laughs) You know, swimming in the ocean is a completely different ball game. And when you've got waves crashing at you from either side, the current's taking, mm-hmm. taking you in all different directions. How much of a mind game is it and how much strength is required for you to be able to keep afloat and, you know, obviously swim distance in the ocean, Trav? Yeah, I think I've got an advantage of that uh, because I was surfing for so long before I started doing triathlons. So I've got quite a understanding and uh, can read the ocean quite well. But, like even uh, like my swim training in the morning, I train with um, like pool swimmers who like are trying to qualify for Olympics and just swim in a 50 meter pool all the time. They'll absolutely dominate. And then in the pool and then we, we go swimming outside time trial or something. And like all the, the surf clubbies and triathletes, we pretty much still get beaten by these purest swimmers, but the gap is so much smaller because we're able to read the conditions. We're used to the choppy water we can see where the tide's going, where the currents are going. And I guess it's just adapting into just being able to sight the boy up ahead. Just keep going until you reach it, then sight the next one. Yeah, I love it. And I guess that leads into our, our next sort of point of discussion in regards to mindset. Like, how is your mindset trained to be able to deal with those sort of long hauls of efforts? Like you mentioned the 750 meter swim, that's not, it doesn't sound like much, but once you're in the ocean, like to try and look 750 meters ahead is is just like crazy. So talk to us a little bit about your mindset in training and in competition and how that plays like a role in getting through the event. I guess it comes back to that competitive side. I, I hate losing and I love winning. So it's constant battles all the time. Like even, obviously the main goal is to win the race, but then it's also like a competition within, with my own uh, thoughts. Like, cause you get times where you're like, oh, this is so hard. I should give up. And you're like, no, I can't give in. I got to beat that. But I think it just stems from like, as a child, um, I just being bullied and having to deal with that stuff. 
made me strong enough that mentally I'm like, this is nothing. This is like all my head. Just keep going and keep going and keep going. And eventually there's an end and a reward. Experiencing those sort of hardships as a, as a kid or whenever you experience hardships in your life, when you can refer back to that point in time and notice that you've gotten through it. And, and when you're faced with a, like a similar situation, again, you can look back on that and say, well, wow, I've been through that. You know, let's, let's come on to the next thing. And like a completely different topic of conversation now, but I'm sort of <laughs> applying that to my morning routine at the moment. I'm jumping in a cold shower and, and using that as a yeah. for the rest of my day, because once I get in the shower and I've battled the freezing cold, like in Melbourne, it's freezing, like in winter. Here. <laughs> like We're currently just got out of the midst of winter, but like the last thing you want to do in the morning is go in a cold shower. So knowing yeah. that you've been able to battle that and, and use that as sort of like the platform for the rest of the day is, is really inspiring. So I guess it sort of translates in that aspect yeah definitely it's well it's like you've overcome every single obstacle battle hardship you've ever faced in your life like you've made it through everything so what proof is there that you won't make the next thing like yeah you've you've overcome everything you've ever faced in life yeah definitely dude and heading into the preparation realm how do you prepare to get yourself ready for you know training and for an event do you have like strict routines that you go through or is it more just go with the flow and and just take whatever comes um yeah so uh training wise it's um there's like big blocks broken into small blocks broken down into weeks days sessions all that so like the for me, the season pretty much starts about now. Yeah, start of September until the end of April. Um, so during that stuff, it's like a lot of speed work, speed endurance. Um, but over the off season, it's a lot of uh, long miles, get the base endurance and then get the strength going, then get the power as we start to get closer to the season. And I guess it's, I'm able to keep that up because I just generally love training and racing. So then while I'm in the middle of the off season, I'm like, man, I'm like a five hour bike ride. How's this? Like for me, it's a good thing, but some people struggle with it. And I think a way to help with that is to know why you're doing it. Um, Be like, all right. Yeah. If I put the long base miles in now, this will give me the strength and endurance to go through an hour race or something like that. And I think it's, yeah, just falling in love with everything that you do. Um, training wise because if you're not loving it then you're probably not going to stick with it and you're not going to want to get better at it um yeah your why has to be so strong and i guess it translates into like competitive sport as well that is your job and your your why has to be so strong and so secure to be able to get through those sort of difficult periods yeah definitely like if as if long as as long as your why is strong enough your how doesn't matter to influence your what. Like, you're like, what do I want to do? Become an Olympian. Why? Because I generally love it so much. It's like what I want to do. The how doesn't matter because you're going to make that up as you go. As long as you, your why is strong enough, you'll get there pretty much. Love that, Trav. I might steal that quote off you <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a little bit yeah. about the, what a day in the life of, of Travis Coleman consists of, whether you're you know, preparing for a race. Talk, give us a, an example because you've got a race coming up Saturday. How would you, you know, structure your day leading up into a race? Yeah, um, I can give you pretty much the week rundown if that helps. Each day is a little bit different. Dive yeah. into it, man. So, yeah, Monday um, started with bowl of oats in the morning. Um, I've, I've pretty much been on oats since like for like three or four years now. It was just such a quick, easy breakfast full of protein, carbs, and gets me fueled for the day. So smack one of those, couple toilet trips. Um, I think it was about a six, just over six kilometer swim, uh, followed by a small gym session just to get uh, a little bit of extra strength in the body, but not too much to fatigue it. Um, then some yoga. Uh, Tuesday was, um, what was, I had four little hill sprints. So about a 400 meter hill. Um, so I did four of those, come off the bike, did four run hill sprints. So it was about, um, what was that? 30 second efforts, 
Uh, came back, had an osteo session just to repair the body enough during race week to still feel fresh for all the training. Went and got my hair cut, which is like a, a ritual thing before a race. I get nice fresh haircut so that I feel light and fast. Is that a superstition? I think so. I don't know if it actually does anything, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, like it's, uh, it's pretty much elimination of excuses. So I'm like, there's no excuse. My, my hair is not too heavy. It's, it's not too thick that it's, it's stopping the airflow and I'm going to overheat or anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, just some more, I do I pretty much do like a little bit of yoga every day. Um, and then Wednesday was a, a track session. So I did four one Ks finishing the last 200 meters, pretty much full send. So that was like, uh, what were they about 23 seconds for 200 meters? Um, and then off onto like a 55k bike at, at a good tempo that wasn't going to make the legs too heavy, but still feel good. Um, another swim session, so about a 3k swim. And then finishing off with some good food and yoga for the day. Uh, now we're up to Thursday. Um, this is like a brick session. So it's bike run, bike run, bike run, bike run. So four of those. So because it's race week, I just dropped it back. Uh, about a two kilometer bike and 400 meter run the four times just to keep some speed in the leg without the fatigues and then quick swim some more yoga um and now we're here on the chat <laughs> and then tomorrow will be a complete rest day so i'll just wake up with no alarm sleep in do some yoga eat some good food just relax for the day and then race day is saturday um but it's a 3.30 p.m. start, which is a little different. We're used to the early mornings, kind of get up before the sun, start just after sunrise because it's usually so hot. Um, so I guess I'll just sleep in for ages, get up, have a little bit of food, not too much, do some yoga, stretching, stay nice and relaxed. And then I guess I'm lucky because I've done it so many times that I don't get nervous anymore. Um so I'll pretty much stay calm, go through my checklist, make sure I've got everything ready for the race. Um, I know that I've done all the work to perform at the race. So that's not an issue. Um, and then I'll just go through like a visualization of everything I want to do in the race and how it's all going to pan out from getting ready, from swimming to transitioning onto the bike or the bike leg to the run leg, have like seven different game plans ready to, go just in case one of them changes and be acceptable to adapt on the fly and pretty much absolutely send it because I don't know when the next race could be after this. Yeah, Trav, love that. And I guess preparation plays such a big role in the lead up to an event and the lead up to training. How much sort of time and how long did it take you to adapt a sort of routine in regards to your preparation to be able to get the most out of your performance is that something you experience the more you do it or do you have a coach or something like that um yeah i guess it's something you experience the more you do it because it's a lot of trial and error back like, all right well that didn't work um and i think it's a lot of it is um like mentally doing something you're comfortable with that you'll know is okay to do on the race day so like for, like, I've got a lot of superstitions. Um, like I'll have a spag, the same spag bowl recipe before any race for like three, almost four years now. <laughs> um, and I had a, I was, uh, I had a race that wasn't like a big important race. And I was like, I'll just throw things out. Um, I remember being like not prepared the day before. I think I had a curry the night before. Um, was really like had a late night, really tired, had a shocking warm up, and I was. I remember thinking to myself, I was like, "All right, this is absolutely throwing any superstitions I I have out. If I can still perform while everything doesn't go to plan, we'll be right." But I don't think I had a great race, and I was like, oh, "It must have been the curry. <laughs> I didn't have my spag bowl." <laughs> but um, yeah, I think if you've yeah, if you've got a coach, it's definitely a good thing to talk to them and learn from their experience because they've had athletes 
that have done so many different things. They can be like, here's some things you can try, see what works, see what doesn't. And yeah, it comes back to just adapting on the go, seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah, really important advice there, Travin. What does your training consist of? How do you divide your time over the three facets of the sport? Um, I think it's it's all pretty even, really. Um, so swimming the last couple of years has been my weakest leg. And I think now it's probably – my run's always been my strongest, and it still is. And then I think my swim's now stronger than my bike, which is – which is cool, but it was strange to adapt to because usually I'd have a poor swim and then catch people on the bike. But because now I'm swimming well, I'm swimming really well and then having to actually work pretty hard to stay with people on the bike. But um, it's uh, pretty much go five days of each uh, discipline. So, yeah, Mondays, swim gym. Tuesdays, bike run, swim. Wednesdays run, bike, uh, recovery, swim, Thursdays, bike, run, gym, swim, Fridays, run, swim, Saturdays, a long ride and a swim, Sundays, a long run and a recovery swim. So it's the hours are all completely different because you can spend 10 hours on a bike kind of comfortably, but if you spend 10 hours running, it's got a lot of impact on the body. And similarly with swimming, you can spend quite a lot of time swimming it doesn't cause as many impact injuries. Um, I guess it's all finding what your body can actually handle and just slowly progressing through to find that sweet zone. Yeah, really important, I guess, we highlighted that because obviously being a multifaceted sport, you need to divide your time um, equally among all facets to be able to excel in, in all different areas and, and obviously be the best at what, you, what you're doing. Your workload is huge, dude. Like, I'm, I'm interested to see how you fuel your body. Obviously, you're in the plant-based realm. Yeah. Talk to us. Bring it back right to the beginning and tell us how, you know, you became immersed in this vegan plant-based field and, and what sparked that journey. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I was pretty much all through school known as the kid that would just eat everything. So, I've always had, like, an infinite belly to consume food and a pure love for eating and enjoying food. Um, and I, I remember uh, I left school, got a girlfriend who was vegan and that was the first person I met who was vegan. I was like, so what is this? Like, what do you eat? I was like, well, it's like salad every day. And then she was like, nah, you're an idiot. Like there's so much food. Um, and then she pretty much showed me all like endless amounts of food, everything that someone who isn't vegan eats, there's a vegan option for that everywhere. So there's like an absolute abundance, nothing. You don't go without anything. You just change it a little. Um, but yeah, I remember towards the end of school, I watched a documentary called The Code, which was uh, about, I think it was uh, Japanese um, cove where they, they round the dolphins up slaughter them and sell them for fin like the, for their fins and soup and stuff like this and i was like whoa that's i can't be part of that so i stopped eating seafood in high school and then she was like you know that's the same thing with every animal that's consumed for food i was like what hell what's the code there and then yes yeah, saw some footage of how the chicken gets to the plate how the beef gets to the plate and I was like what it was crazy that like that's so hidden from from view that it's something you participate in but don't realize what the actual cause is um so I was like all right well if you can make me a good chicken parmy and a good spag bowl that's vegan I'll give it a go and then she did and I was like oh damn it okay I'll give this thing a go and then the more I I pretty much yeah had to learn to cook on the spot. Um, yeah, the more I the more I got into it, the more I started to learn about the environmental factors and then the obviously the, the health performance gains of not consuming animal flesh is absolutely insane. So for me, my recovery time was the biggest thing I noticed. Um, I got I always already ran like low body fat, high muscle percentage. Um, 
But I went from being so sore after a session and not being able to ever feel like I was fresh to like doing two sessions in a morning, recovering enough to do another session in the afternoon. I think it's just the breakdown time of food in the gut is so much better that the blood's not being wasted trying to break down uh, meat protein that you can then use it to go to the muscles to recover that instead. And yeah, so now it's, it's plants all day and it's progressed from like eating like all the mock meats to pretty much I'm all on organic whole foods at the moment. I'd love to give like the going raw thing a try, but I think that's just too hard for me personally with all my training commitments and trying to eat right and consume like energy bars and gels and stuff like that while training. Do you go to the supermarket trials and you pick up your, you know, your mince meat that's in a neatly packaged plastic container, but you don't actually know the process of what it gets to there. And everyone's so disconnected. That's the word I was looking for before. There's so much disconnection mm. in the industry and it's quite scary to know what happens behind the scenes. And as you touched on before, that was enough for you to sort of change your process and really switch up your dietary, you know, choices. And the beauty of yeah. sort of plant-based realm is that, you know, you, you can choose one avenue to go down, but the impact that you're having on a far greater scale is huge. So if you decide to, you know, shift your diet to more plant predominant because of the animals, then you're in turn bettering, better fit, making your health better. Let's try that one. Bettering yeah. your health, <laughs> bettering your quality of life, and you're supporting the environment as well. So there's three facets that you're automatically appealing to just from that one decision. I think that's a really, really important thing to highlight. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, just from instead of eating beef that's come from a cow that's been grown to be murdered for that food, you just simply opt for the beans or... Or if, you, if you're into the mock meat stuff, you just go get a Beyond Meat patty and the, the impacts on the environment, the animal welfare, your health, all these positive things just come from such a simple decision. There's no, there's no bad thing from trying a vegan alternative of anything. Yeah, in this day and age, there are so many different replacements out there that you can literally yeah. eat all of your favorite sort of traditional meals, but have a plant-based option. You know, not all of them appeal to all facets in terms of like, obviously, their health benefits, there's greater benefits in whole foods and there are in mock meats, but overall from the whole plant-based realm and the whole environmental aspect you're appealing to at least one of those facets so yeah it's it's such an exciting time for the plant-based community it's great to see what's going to happen in the next decade oh definitely it's yeah you almost get into like a um like a climate depression or something because you see you start to see what happens and how it's affecting the world around you and you're like oh this is it's heavy like to see and be aware of what's happening and to have people just write it off and not listen because they don't want to change. You start, yeah, it starts getting to you. But um, for, for anyone with that, I highly recommend listening to pretty much any plant-based person who's out there teaching um, and getting in the industry. Uh, who is it? Michael, Michael Greger. Um, He's out there teaching nutrition to doctors because nutrition has been so overlooked as, as a doctor that they're now starting to learn the implications of giving people a meat dish instead of whole food plant-based. Yeah, so I think there's, there's good change coming. There's so much evidence mm. that's surfacing about the benefits of a plant-based diet from a chronic disease point of view, prevention and treatment and reversal. So it's exciting to see from the health realm and, you know, the evidence, the proof is in the pudding in terms of the environmental aspects. It's, it's clear that the impact that um, our current sort of lifestyle plays on the environment is just unsustainable. It's literally destroying our planet. So on that mm -hmm. front, we need to take action and then the animals speak for itself. If you can eat nutritious food without harming animals, why wouldn't you? Exactly, yeah. It's end of the day, it is your choice. So why, if you can choose con to be compassionate, why would you choose to not be compassionate? In showing some compassion for people that are still consuming animal products, this is a zero judgment zone where my whole philosophy yeah. is not trying to turn the world vegan. I'm just trying to incorporate more plants into people's diets because obviously reduction is so huge and 
from that point of view to try and perfect one vegan or one plant-based eater is much harder than trying to get the whole population to reduce and the impact that we can have by just reducing our intake is is just astronomical and obviously that starts by just incorporating one plant-based meal a week and then working that up to two or incorporating more vegetables on your plant plate all small you know little changes make a big big impact yeah yeah that's the thing that's i think it gets quite overlooked is just getting people who are quite um scared of that change just be like just one meal one meal a week go experiment on a vegan thing see if you like it if you like it go for maybe two meals a week three meals and then once that becomes not scary anymore to to not consume animals then you try for a couple weeks try for a month and if you like it then you're pretty much going to stay with it if you don't like it I guess you can you can go back to a couple meals here and there, keep experimenting with what you like, and eventually you realize that you don't need that stuff and the health benefits and, yeah, like we've said, environmental benefits of just consuming less is so much. Like one meal is such a better uh, impact on the environment than not trying at all. Love it, Trav, love it. Now, your energy expenditure is huge. The amount that you're putting out is just astronomical. You know, you're doing three sessions a day. I'm, I'm curious to see how you fuel your body. What sort of stuff do you eat to make sure that you're performing at your best? Yeah, so I think um, I don't count protein, calorie, anything like that. Um, until people ask me to, they're like, oh, what are you, like how much protein do you? Oh, oh, I don't know. I'll actually have to think about it because I pretty much eat um if i'm hungry i eat if i'm if i'm really i guess once you adapt your your body to not be addicted to any of the the processed chemicals and foods you're able to switch on some connection that craves the right things for what you need so whether you're craving a bit of extra b12 or a bit of vitamin c or some extra protein carbs fats anything like that you start craving the right foods for that um so i think like what I've just counted in like random times, it's anywhere from 5,000 to 7,000 calories a day and roughly 200 grams of protein. I personally believe that like fiber is so important because all different plants and have different strains of fiber and within that have different strains of protein. So the more abundance of whole foods you can eat, the more variety of vitamins, proteins, all these good minerals you're filling the body with, it's better. Um, but also in saying that I eat pretty much the same thing every day. So that's, uh, I'll have a bowl of oats in the morning before a session, which is, I go a cup of oats, a cup of water, handful of dates, half a banana and a scoop of, uh, X protein powder, which is a vegan protein, um, company that's just recently launched. Um, yeah, a, yeah, fully vegan protein company, which is pretty cool. Um, and then between sessions, um, I've actually just, I was making my own protein bars, but Cliff Bar just released a protein bar. I think it's Cliff Builders, Cliff Builders Bar or something similar to that, which is a 20 grams of protein Cliff Bar covered in chocolate. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, you're yeah, doing yourselves like Cliff Bar covered in chocolate. I'm all about that. <laughs> so then, um, and depending on, on the session, whether it's a, a bike ride, I'll, I'll have some cliff bars, gels, stuff like that. If it's a run, I usually just have like a, the cliff blocks, which are like a little chewy lolly thing, um, which definitely helps because it all tastes good. So as long as it tastes good, you wanna, you're going to like it and enjoy it. It feels good on my gut. Uh, I know people um, are sensitive to different brands because of different components of how everything's made. So the gut reacts differently. So pretty much whatever brand and taste suits your taste buds and gut works well for that. And then after training, I'll have another bowl of oats with all the same things. Um, then I'll head over, do some recovery, like um, ice bath stuff, um, yoga. And then I'll have these days a uh, Gardner Vegan Meals. So it's a company um, close to me in Burley where it's all organic, whole food, plant-based meals. Um, and then, yeah, I just 
just have one of those for lunch, come home, get everything ready for the next day, have a smoothie bowl with a couple of bananas, fruit, berries, protein, um, just make it nice and thick, covered in all this good stuff. And then a couple hours later, I'm hungry again. I'll, I'll have a dinner with as many different vegetables as I can put into either like a, a stir fry, fried rice, a dal, curry. Um, and if it's the night before a race, it'll be a spag bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the spag bowl superstition shocks again. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I, I did a podcast with Benny from Gardner Vegan earlier on in the piece. I think oh, episode yeah. 25. So go and have a listen to that. Benny explains basically everything that they're doing at Gardner Vegan. Really, really interesting. Making such a good, you know, leaving such a good footprint behind for um, this great cause and obviously providing such a great, wholesome organic whole foods in sparking people to take that step into the plant-based realm. So great stuff, Benny and your business partners. Yeah. Yeah. It's so amazing. It's such an easy way to just eat a meal. Like, especially if you're a busy person, just the ease of just grabbing a meal out and eating it is so much better than the, the daunting thought of having to cook for an hour before you can eat. <laughs> Yeah, love it. What are your absolute yeah. must-haves that you can't go without every single day? Uh, yeah, oats. <laughs> uh, anyone that knows me personally will be cracking up at the oats. Um, I'm, yeah, all about my oats, um, as well as dates and peanut butter. I go through so much peanut butter. It is ridiculous. And you mentioned that yoga plays such a really important role in your preparation. Why is yoga so important and how did you get involved into this sort of realm? Um, I first found yoga or yoga found me, however you want to put it, uh, in Bali. Um, I was having a bit of a uh, stressful time and I had a, had an, a hip issue that felt like a hip impingement or some thing going on there a few years ago uh i went to osteos physios um got scans done everything came back with no actual injury um and then yeah reading a lot of like spiritual and philosophy kind of stuff it's pretty much uh mental stress impacting on a weak area of the body that is already tight and i guess because i wasn't doing any good proper form of stretching my hips from swim bike and run they all load the hips so it's constant stress there just attack that um yeah found yoga and within two weeks i was back training again so it was a massive thing just to get the the hips opened up all the muscles um just stretching releasing and i think it's the mental clarity too when when you're doing yoga all it is is you're breathing, thinking about your breath, the muscles you're activating and nothing else. It's, it's like a calming state that obviously helps you relax, helps stretch the muscles, which helps them relax and kind of a flow on effect when you do it enough into the rest of life that you're able to go with, um, see things that are a lot more calmer. And I guess right now dealing with all the COVID stuff, it helps me stay relaxed quite a lot. Um, but yeah, there's still instances obviously where you're going to get stressed out and then you just be like, all right, well, I guess I'll go do some yoga and take my mind off it. Yoga plays a different role in everybody's life, whether, you know, your yoga is on the mat or your yoga is sitting in your bed in the morning, just concentrating on your breathing. Yoga is such a broad term. And I think adapting a practice that suits your lifestyle is really really crucial and then you can build on from there and i'm a big believer to in taking yoga off the mat and applying it in practical situations like for me it's when i'm stuck in traffic and this dude's just sitting on his phone in the front and he hasn't gone through the green line and turned red. <laughs> i'm sitting behind and all i want to do is get on the hall out the window and yeah some crazy shit out at him just controlling <laughs> on your breath and and really bringing it back to that yoga meditation um trusting where you're meant to be is such a great sort of practical way to get into yoga yeah definitely it's like that active meditation type thing but yeah i had like driving is like 
my weakness in stress. I'll be so calm and like uh, talk about things in such a calm way and try and be like, yeah, it's okay. There's no stress in the world. And you put me behind the wheel and get me driving somewhere. It's just like, it's so hard not to yeah, beat that guy that's not going at the green light or that person that cuts you off and slams on the brakes. And yeah, it comes back to just, I guess, yeah, being able to do all your yoga meditation um, off the mat and not being reliant on that, being able to just take, even if you just start at three, like full inhale, exhales, fully breathing. And by the time you've done that, the person at light's already gone anyway. So you're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just, it's a calming thing that takes your mind back to all that matters is the breath. You're here now in this experience. There's no point stressing about external issues. So, so true, mate. Now, getting back into the competition realm, I'm, I'm super excited to hear about this. I know we were chatting about this off air before your best competition story. Shall explain that to the listeners at home. Okay, yeah. So, I guess, yeah, the best story um it's pretty much at the beginning of where i started to um transform from quite competitive age group amateur level into professional athlete um so i i guess it, i left school um what year was that 2015 maybe um during school i, I think my best result was like 14th in new south wales uh, I left school within a couple months. I was um, Australian champion, um, went to world champs in Mexico. And yeah, I was heading in there. I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just rock up and just win this race. And then uh, I do struggle in the heat because I run quite a high body temperature and a heavy sweater. So dehydration is a big uh, factor I have to account for. Um, so I tried to get to Mexico with enough time to adapt to that i think i had about seven days which is it's pretty much enough time to to get used to the environment um but it was 6 a.m the water temperature was 30 degrees and the air temperature was 34 degrees so it was it was pretty hot already i think we we're like a 6 30 a.m start i'd um yeah so it was a 1.5k swim by the time I did the swim and ran 400 meters from like the beach to where the bikes were, I'd thrown up twice. I got to the bike and threw up on the guy's helmet next to me. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's pretty gross, but nothing I can do. Better go. And then, yeah, I came out of the water 24th. Um, ended up having a really strong ride. Rode myself up into ninth position i think it was got off the bike um and was was pretty heat uh, affected by this stage and i remember starting the run like yeah i mean ninth like, like we're top 10 already let's let's run down the guys in front and then i remember struggling to keep running in a straight line and about at six yeah at the six kilometer mark i fell onto the sign saying six kilometers just from not being able to put one foot in front of another in a straight line. I remember losing the balance. And you know how you see people like trip and they start running to try and save themselves. That's pretty much what I did. Hit the six kilometer sign. And then was like, Whoa, this things are getting pretty heavy. Um, by this stage, I was already about 20th. Uh, so I'd lost all the spots I'd gained and it turned from a race to pretty much like survival. I was like the only way, the thought of pulling out of the race was never an option, but I was like, if I, if I'm going to survive, I need to finish this race and get some help in a very poor English speaking country. Um, so eventually I crossed the line. I think it was, I think it was 24th. Um, I collapsed over the line. Um, and my mum was watching from home and I, I feel bad for her because I actually remember re-watching the footage and you see me cross the line, fall on the ground, medical officials come running over, pick me up and my eyes are just rolling backwards in my head and I'm non-coherent, not aware of anything that's going on. I was put in an ice bath until I started convulsing. They put me on a table in a space blanket because all my muscles were freaking out and spasming 
and they checked my body temperature after the ice bath and it was 42 degrees. So I think a normal, my normal temperature is 37 to 38, but I think a normal person's about 36. Um, and apparently if it gets over 40 degrees, it can start affecting the brain and quite a serious issue. So they started panicking and speaking Spanish and started yelling. And I'm just laying on this table with no um, ability to stop myself from shaking, just convulsing everywhere with um, like six Mexicans holding onto me to keep me on the table from falling off. And I don't remember what they did, but I, yeah, eventually I was able to, <laughs> to walk out of it. And yeah, that was, that was a big moment that I realized that I can pretty much push my body to as far as it can all through the mindset of not giving up. It's yeah. I kind of look at pain as an emotion, like happy, love, sad in that pain is the same as that. And I choose to let it affect me physically or just be like, all right, yeah, I'm in pain. Big deal. Run faster. It'll finish quicker. And then, yeah, came back the next year uh, at World Champs, hungry to, to have a good race. I think this one was in Amsterdam and I got, I should know, I think it was sixth or seventh. I was absolutely stoked with that. And then World Champs the next year were in Australia and I was like, yes, I've got to win. Like it's home, like home race is, is going to be great. Um, I'd sussed out everyone racing. I knew I can win. I was like, this is it. I'm going to become world champion. How sick is this? So this was in the 20 to 24 year age group for a standard distance triathlon. Um, and it was actually just after I had those hip issues. I'd also come down with tonsillitis um, two weeks before the race. So I'd only be training, like returned to training two months before the race, two weeks before the race, uh, got tonsillitis. Um, raced on antibiotics and placed fourth. And that was like, that it still haunts me because fourth is like, congratulations, you just missed out on a medal to prove your performance. So I think that's still a massive motivating factor in that I tell myself that that wasn't the year I will win a world championship event. And yeah, getting a good result like that, able to get me, um my professional license and now i'm just like oh well i missed my chance of being my age group world champion i just have to become a professional world champion dude that is so crazy and how scary was it like adapting to the different climates over in, in mexico and obviously it's a huge shock for the body being in that situation but like crazy that picture that you just painted for us yeah um you can't really um imagine like living on the gold coast it gets pretty humid pretty hot like we'll have days like 38 i think we've broke 40 once but just the humidity and stickiness like i remember having to buy new clothes because we couldn't wash our clothes because they'd stay wet with the humidity and the days where it wasn't that humid the sun was so bright that my body's turned like all crimpled and you could just snap them so it's it's like incomprehensible how hot and humid it is over there. Crazy, man. And obviously, like, this sort of sport has taken you to all different parts of the world and you've experienced all different climates and had these amazing experiences. What's the one experience that stands out for you amongst all that? Hopefully not the Mexico experience. Um, I, oh, it's so hard to pick one. Um, I think... I think Mexico is a standout for the the wildness of it. <laughs> um, but I think it was, uh, I went to New Zealand and it was like the realisation of where this sport can actually take me and like seeing how beautiful all the world is. Because I, I remember growing up on the Gold Coast and like hanging around Kira Beach and I was like, man, why would anyone want to go anywhere in the world when you can just, hang at the beach all day this is sick and then yeah reflecting from that to being able to travel to new zealand travel around see all the bushes and all the landscape out there i was like man i just just want to do this and let it take me wherever it's going to take me to see so many different parts of the world that 
you don't even realize are there and what their potential could hold. Yeah, amazing little bit of advice there, Trav, as well. Like if that's not incentive enough to get out and travel after this COVID situation passes, if we ever can travel again, I know it's rocked the whole world and that's a completely different discussion. But yeah, going to experience different cultures is just incredible. And obviously having the luxury to do that with your sport is is so, so amazing, which I'm sure you're super grateful for. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those things where like racing is – like such an enjoyment, um, like a love for me and such a passion, but everything that racing provides for me, just um, like all my, my sponsors and all the way I get looked after through there, all the way that I'm able to learn mental and physical things about myself every day through training. And obviously, yeah, get the experiences that I wouldn't get uh usually or or most people probably wouldn't even get out of the sport either just to go travel around yeah see different communities cultures environments and yeah just just be more aware and loving of the world around so so true my friend and obviously being involved in this sort of realm for such a long period of time what's the best bit of advice that you've ever received um I think for me personally is to actually listen to the body. Um, I guess it's a thing as an endurance athlete, uh, you shut pain off because it's a natural thing that happens. You're like, Oh, my legs are sore. Just keep running. You'll be right. Um, it's learning to know when your legs are sore or fatigued and tired. And when, there's a niggle that's going to turn into an injury um so yeah probably the best advice was i remember being crook one time rocking up to training and my coach was like look you've got an option i'm not going to stop you from training because i know what you like you won't listen but if you come to training while you've got this you're going to be struggling to train not train your best the body's going to be more fatigued the cold that you've got will take over it'll affect you more you'll be out for two weeks It'll take you another two, three weeks to get back to where you were before it, another couple of weeks to start improving again. Or you can have two or three days off, fully rest, recover, and then come back. So, yeah, for me, the greatest lesson thing I've ever been taught and I've learned is to accept that you can't push the body every single day. You've got to allow time to rest and recover. And I think that's something I've been able to transfer into life outside of triathlon whether it's working or friendships or just dealing with all the voices and thoughts you have inside your head just taking time out from anything you do to just rest recover and jump back or not jump straight back in where you were but go back in with a new mindset of how to deal and get through any problems so so true exactly what i'm trying to preach through euphoria is encouraging people and educating people on how to really listen to their body and i think that's such a great bit of advice guys if you take nothing out of this this podcast but that just to listen to your body and really be in tune to what it's telling you because every single thing that's happening in your body is happening for a reason so being in tune with those signals if you're tired and you're really sore and you're taking a while to recover, it might not be the best thing to go out and really overload your body and have a big session again. Listen to it, rest, recover. Our bodies are amazing. They send us signs and signals when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we need food, when we need sleep, you know, when we're cold. It's it's incredible. We listen to those signals, but learning to adapt them into our everyday life is such a crucial bit of advice. Yeah, big time. What's next for Travis Coleman? Where can we see you in the in the next five years? What's up for for your future plans, mate? Um, yeah. So <laughs> pre-COVID, uh, like a five-year dream uh, goal set will be being able to travel around the world, competing, and being able to see all these different places and experiences. And I love being able to share that with people and open their mind up to the ability that anything's possible. Like if you work hard enough at whatever it is, then you will be the best you'll be. Um, I think it's, it's easy to be like, yeah, if you work hard enough, you'll achieve it. Um, It's that's all personal. Like if I like 
yeah, I want to win this race really bad and go into a world champion event, championship event and verse like Mario Moller or Louis Vincent, uh, Vincent Louis, anything like that. They're probably going to beat me because at the moment they're better than me. But if I set out to go get a PB and as long as I work to that, I'll achieve it. So I love being able to share that I'm not a, a special gifted person, but I'm able to dedicate myself to this. And this is all the work that I put in. This is what I'm getting back. I get to go travel. I get to enjoy all these amazing opportunities in life. And yeah, that pretty much whatever you want to achieve is possible. Love that, Trav. Really, really good bits of advice, mate. You've been nailing these uh, these last bits of advice for the listeners at home. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Now, Trav, this has been an awesome chat, mate. I've loved getting to know you and your journey and, and, you know, understand what it takes and what the mindset is like for a professional endurance athlete. Before we go, I've got a little bit of a rapid fire segment for you to cap off the podcast, mate. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and just answer me with the first thing that comes to your mind. (laughs) All right. This could be dangerous. (laughs) A little bit of fun, mate. A little bit of fun. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) We'll start off nice and easy. We'll work into it. So sweet or savory? Sweet, for sure. Nice. Would you rather be stranded in the middle of the ocean on a boat or in the middle of a forest? Oh, that's tough. Uh, First thing I was like, yeah, the ocean. But I mean, I think the forest would be much more relaxing. Stumps a lot of people that as well. (laughs) Me and my girlfriend, we have these conversations sometimes and we like play out these scenarios of how we're going to get help and how we're going to get out of the situation. And, and like it stumps us every time. Like if if you're in the middle of the ocean, it's super, super hot on a boat and like how scary, how lonely, but if you're in the middle of the forest, you know, you've got to battle all these insects and, and literally fight for your life in the humidity. So yeah, it's a lose-lose situation. (laughs) (laughs) What's one thing you can't live without? Peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Fuck one, marry one, kill one, run, bike, or swim. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. I think, <laughs> put you on the spot here. Yeah. I think kill, swim, fuck, run, and marry, bike. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> Would you rather live forever or die tomorrow? Oh, I think live forever. Everyone always says that as well. Yeah. If you could have one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? And it can't be peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Probably a spag bowl. (laughs) That way I can race the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have hands for feet or feet for hands? Uh, I think hands for feet because I'm always running out of like I can't carry enough. <laughs> so that way I can just wiggle around carrying more things. Nice. That's an interesting philosophy of how you've gotten to that one. I like that trap. That, that one's probably going to go on the little snippet, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Describe yourself in one word for us. Uh, passionate. And what legacy do you want to leave behind in the world? Um, that... Pretty much no dreams too small. Uh, whatever you set out to achieve, as long as you commit yourself to that, you'll be able to achieve it. And a massive thing is to never forget where you started from and the people that have supported you to get to where you are. Always show respect for everyone, um, no matter who they are, whether they're going to help you on your journey. Even if they're a hater, just show some compassion to them that, they're probably going through something rough at the moment and then maybe they're jealous or maybe they just straight up don't like um, the feeling they get around you. That's not your issue. That's theirs. And just treat them with some love and respect and it'll be a happy place. Love it, Trav. Great sort of ending message there. Kindness prevails all. I love it, mate. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been awesome. As I said earlier, I can't wait to follow your journey. Where can people get in contact with you as well, mate? Um, yeah, pretty active on Instagram at Travis Coleman PT. Um, I've just set up a YouTube account as well. I think that's just Travis Coleman. Um, and then for any, uh, race updates, uh, blogs, uh, any training, things like that, I usually try and upload 
those onto my website at www.traviscolmanpt.com.au. I'll have those in the show notes for anyone that wants to get in contact. Cheers. Thanks for having us on. Well, there you have it, a day in the life of a professional triathlete. It was so humbling being able to sit with Travis and chat all things movement and plant-based nutrition, and I hope you guys got something out of that one. Don't forget to keep an eye out for Trav's journey and cheer him on when he features in the green and gold next. Well, that's all I have for you this week, guys. I hope you have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.